Hello. Hello. (laughs) Welcome back. Um, This was our episode four of Tacos and Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And Sydney picked this great case for us today. Another doozy, as Peyton likes to call them. (laughs) Yes. You know, the episode three, we did a Michigan case. So Sid picked a Wisconsin case. That is pretty interesting with a very interesting ending, I should say. I think that's the best part. Come on. (laughs) Yes. So I will um, let you kind of set the scene here of what we're going to be talking about today. Set the scene. So it starts off that Jennifer Hitchcock and Maurice Mason meet in July of 2004 at a party in Lincoln, Nebraska. Maurice is 15 years older than Jennifer, but she's quite drawn to him. I don't I wouldn't say he was necessarily a looker, but he must have been a charmer to get this beautiful (laughs) young girl. (laughs) Definitely not a looker. No, Um, their relationship goes from good to bad pretty quickly, Um, especially once Maurice convinces Jennifer for him to move in. His true colors start to show and he is controlling, obsessive. He's not letting her leave the house, open the door. She's basically just stuck there until he's back. After mom- months of the abuse, she finally finds this, the courage to write him a letter, which I thought was pretty interesting. She writes him a letter asking him to leave, which I guess I could get the 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 courage to do something, but I think she would be the one like, hey, I'm writing a letter and I'm out. Peace out. Gotta go. But whatever. I, I think it was... It was her house, right? Yeah. And he moved in with only, like, within a couple of weeks of them seeing each other. hmm So, definitely interesting. She writes this letter. She asks Maurice to leave, but then she moves in with a relative, and soon enough, Maurice is back. He says he'll move out and leave her alone, but she needs to do him one last favor. This last favor is to go to Wisconsin to visit his child with him. The trip lasts weeks, so family and friends are worried. Maurice promises that he will leave, but then when they are ready to leave, there's always another excuse. He's calling her family, saying that they're having, like, car problems and they need gas money. They're sending money, and they're still not coming back. So finally, Jen's aunt calls the Lake Dalton police in Wisconsin and lets them know that her niece is being held basically against her will. Once the police finally, they locate them in a hotel in the Lake Dalton area. Jen's too scared to say anything, but it's pretty obvious, like, based on her demeanor, that she's not comfortable in the situation that she's in with Maurice. So she is brought back to her home in Lincoln, Nebraska, and this is in October of 2004. But Maurice is not going to let her go that easily. Kind of a backstory on him. He has prior arrests of sexual assaults and rapes. Well, they're considered rapes because they're with underage girls. 
He's also tried Yikes. to <laughs> He's also tried to convince some of these underage girls to move out of the state with him. Um there was one one case where he had actually broken into his niece's home and his intention was to steal her jewelry and her money. But when he's arrested for this, he basically tells the police like, "Yeah, I actually intended on killing her too. I just didn't get to that point." Jesus Christ. He had spoken with a psychologist and had told them that he was having fantasies of killing people and having dreams of having basically prison cells in his basement to hold these victims, which is super bizarre. So he just basically wanted everyone to think he was psychotic. Oh my God, this man is literally crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a little bit, this is earlier. So in early 2002, after all these prior convictions, he moves in with his nephew, Benny Fryer. Benny has a pretty hard life. So Maurice is truly his only father figure. This is the guy that Benny's looking up to, which I find to be pretty interesting because based off of everything that I read about Maurice and heard about Maurice, he doesn't seem like an outstanding citizen or like somebody, a role model to look up to. Absolutely not. No. So in end of October 2004, beginning of November 2004, Jennifer's back in Nebraska. Maurice and Benny decide that they're going to drive to Nebraska basically because he wants to see Jen again. He wants to get his, the love of his life back. Um, he drives in, They drive to Nebraska. He calls Jen and asks to see her. Reluctantly, she finally ends up agreeing. After hours of just basically driving around, Jen's like, all right, this is weird. We need, Can I go home now? Like, you picked me up. You're driving around. We're just talking. Uh, They start to argue, and he ultimately hits her in the face with a beer bottle and tries to drown her in a tub of motor oil nearby. And I think Peyton said that there was also a brick involved. Yeah, I also read he smashed her in the face with a brick and also strangled her. So this poor woman definitely got a beating right off the bat here. And then on top of it all, he puts her in the trunk of her car. Not his car, her car. (laughs) And then they head back to Wisconsin. So Maurice and his nephew Benny are desperate for money. And they have to plan up something on this trip of how they're going to get some sort of funds. So Maurice plans to kidnap David Klein, who is a man that he had met in a halfway house. David lives in Mauston, Wisconsin. Which, if you're familiar with the Wisconsin area, those are pretty close. Lake Delton, where Maurice is from, and Boston is probably like half hour, 45 minutes from one another. So they head to David Klein's house. They lure him into a barn, telling him that there's marijuana out there. They then basically tie him up, duct tape his eyes, duct tape his hands. He can't see, he can't move. And they basically just leave him there and they're like, or, all right, we're going to call someone and let someone know that you're here. But they never actually call anyone. They just leave him there for dead. They head to the store. They buy a shotgun as their plan is to now become bank robbers. And the next days they go to a public hunting ground where their car gets stuck. And all three of them have to walk to a nearby bar 
to keep this mission going. Um, at this nearby bar, Benny calls a cab for them. The cab driver who picks him up, his name is John Romberg. He's shot once, once the three get to their destination. I also think it's interesting to note that at this point, like, Jennifer looks very beat up. So yes. They're, like, throwing <laughs> her around with them to all these places, and, like, no one says anything or does anything. Mm-hmm. And she very clearly looks like she's been through some shit. Yep. I think the next place that they actually went, though, was a relative of Maurice's. And he admitted to them that Jen was in some sort of fight because she clearly had these visible wounds. And I think, I don't, I mean, from what I read, it was kind of like she didn't say anything. She was just kind of hush-hush about it. And I know, like, there was an episode that we had watched of Wicked Attraction where it kind of focuses on the whole story. And in that episode they kind of made it seem like she was, like, trying to talk to this one of the relatives, but I don't know from everything. It kind of seemed like she was more hush-hush about it. Yeah, I was going to say, I also, was it on Wicked Attraction? I saw it on Your Worst Nightmare. Okay. On Investigation Discovery, Season 5, Episode 5, Come With Me is what it's called. I wrote it down, so if anyone (laughs) wants to watch it. um, There are a lot of misleading information, obviously, on, like, the ID channel. It is, like, for dramatized effect but one thing I thought was super interesting is like the relative's house they went to it was like a man and his wife and his wife very clearly was concerned but she also felt really threatened with Maurice's presence and like how he was behaving so she didn't say anything but it was like very clear she was upset and not happy that they were there with this woman. Yep. Agreed. I also, I mean, it was just kind of like, why did they, they just randomly stopped there almost. I don't feel like there was really a, a whole reason why they went there. Cause they didn't rob them. They didn't get money from them. They're just like, all right, we're just going to yeah. hang out. I think they were like looking for a place to stay low. And you got to think there were, they robbed David Klein for money. They were thinking about robbing banks. So I'm guessing they didn't really have money with them at this point. And mm-hmm. they were just trying to do what they could with no money. Touche. So they go to this house. They're starting to come to terms with the fact that they're basically going to go to jail for these their little crime spree that they've gone on. So they contemplate basically a murder-suicide pact. But neither of them are ballsy enough to actually go through with it. Morris rapes Jennifer. And then Benny asks a favor, asking if he can rape her too, as he hasn't had sex in a while, which I think uh, you had made a comment about this early on too, which I thought was a little psychotic. (laughs) Yeah, also really disgusting if you're so in love with this woman. Yeah. And... And I guess we'll kind of talk about it in a little bit, too, of, like, things that Maury says later on. But, like, you love this woman so much, and you let your nephew sexually assault and rape her. Yeah. Kind of gross. Kind of gross. Very gross. Very gross. Very gross. So, he rapes her, and then afterwards, Benny shoots her point-blank range and kills her. 
But their spree isn't finished yet. They head into town and they find a restaurant. They order themselves two surf and turf dinners. And once they finish off their dinners, they ask the manager to call police because they have to let them know something. So basically, they (laughs) enjoy this very fancy meal and then can't afford it and call the cops on themselves. Yep. And so, like, initially, that's what they are arrested for, um, for ordering their meals with no intention of paying for them, which that's uh, news to me. I didn't know that that was actually something you could get arrested for. Not like I've tried it, but... Now we know. (laughs) The police take them in, and once in custody, police finally get to hear about this rampage. Um, Benny gives the bare minimum just saying that they killed several people, but he wouldn't go into any details. And Maurice tells them everything. Maurice agrees to bring these investigators to the scene um, of Jennifer's murder. And once they're close, he refuses to go any further. He, they then end up finding Jennifer's body there. He then takes police to where David Klein was left. I think it's important to note here that... David Klein has been, there's a small amount of crimes, but it's in, like, a long period of time. This is, like, a six-day period. So, he's been tied up for six days. Mason... In a barn in Wisconsin. In the middle of nowhere. Mason refused... And I... I was going to say, I think it was, like, in... What kind... What time of year? Hold on, I'm trying to find... October. Yeah, like, end End of October. October. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's getting chilly, too. It gets cold at night, at least. For sure. Definitely in the Midwest. Um, So, it's got to be kind of cold. Also, just, I was, I mean, to be in a barn and to think, like, there's animals out there. Nature. (laughs) You can't see anything, either, because they duct taped his eyes. You can't move. Yep. So, six days. He's been tied up. Maurice refused to get out of the car, but he basically points the investigators to an area, and there's a few abandoned barns there, and is like, he's over there. Police go in, they see movement, and sure enough, David Klein is alive. Which is crazy. Absolutely crazy. That we just pointed out all these factors that we can think of off the top of our head. And after six days in a barn, this man is still alive. No food, yep. no water, and the elements. Yep, yep. And I think that was, like, the ultimate goal, unfortunately, was, like, that they were thinking that either the elements would get him or, like, that an animal would come out there and, like, eat him. Which yeah. is pretty jacked up. His hands are tied up, though, or duct taped up during this period of time. So both of his hands end up ultimately being amputated due to him losing circulation in both of them. Which is so sad. He, like, <laughs> he survived this terrible event, but he ultimately loses his two, two both hands. Extremely. And he has, it's really sad in, like, the, the pictures that they show of him. And you can see, like, his prosthetic arms, and he is just... Yeah, and I think he even said at trial, he, when he, like, spoke at the trial, he had hooks for hands mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at first. So crazy. 
I guess, focusing on the trial. So at Maurice's, because we're on David Klein, at Maurice's sentencing, he actually turns around and faces David specifically to tell him, quote, if I would have known you'd survive, I would have just shot you. End quote. <laughs> Which That's so fucked up. You're at trial, too. So in an open courtroom, fully right. just, if I would have known you wouldn't have died, I would have just shot you. This man is clearly a psychopath. Right? So Maurice is really open when he speaks with the investigators. Um, Maurice had said basically to investigators that Jennifer had to die, not only because she was their witness during all this, but she would always be his girl and she could never have someone else, which basically he's just extremely selfish that he knew he was going to get locked up and she, there was a chance she'd be out there. Yeah, he couldn't bear the, yeah, he couldn't bear the thought of her roaming around free with someone else while he's in prison. So again, you let your nephew rape this woman that you you love love. so much, but you kill her because she can't be with anyone else. You just, you just let her be with someone else. You just let someone attack her. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense in my mind. Nope. And he goes on to talk about John Romberg, the cab driver, and basically makes up like, a whole little story with this about, oh, we didn't intentionally shoot him, like, trying to flip it around. It was kind of an accident. But you don't just, like, go on a little killing spree like this and three people end up dead and you didn't intentionally kill one of them. It just doesn't really... Yeah, whoops. Meant to kill the one or hope the one would die and meant to kill the other. But this one was an accident. We didn't mean that one. No, it doesn't make much sense at all. Um, <laughs> accurate. So <laughs> I let them. Sorry, I'm. The more we learn about this guy, the more upset I get because, like, <laughs> he's just genuinely crazy. And it's so impressive that there were only three people injured, in I mean, two died in his little spree, because everything in his backstory. And, like, his behaviors and how he's very open and, like, shows no empathy in court and, like, is not apologetic at all. Mm-hmm. He, like, he just didn't care. He could have hurt so many more people. And I think that's the thing, even with, like, the backstory, like, so he had these prior convictions. Like, he spoke to a psychologist and said, like, I'm having these fantasies. I'm, right. I want to kill these people. I am going to put prison cells in my basement. Like, things like that. And... It wasn't taken seriously. I feel like this is something that there was a chance that it could have been stopped. Also, just like Jennifer had already been taken and been kidnapped by him once, and the police had to come and get her. So why wasn't yeah, and held like against her will for like a week, and then this time, yet again, she's you know kept in a trunk and taken against her will for another extended period of time. Mm-hmm. So, like, why is she not being, I don't know, watched more carefully, for lack of a better term, or, like, restraining orders? I mean, this is only 2004. This wasn't, like, 40 years ago. Right. And what I will say is, I guess, someone who's been in a semi-abusive relationship before, um, I'm definitely pretty empathetic with the understanding of, like, 
after the first time and he came to like wanting to see her and apologize and her wanting to like see the good in him and forgive him. So I can kind of understand her, you know, meeting up with him after the first time of him, like taking her against his will, he might not have like physically harmed her the first time. And Mm -hmm. so then she was like, okay, well maybe he like genuinely sees the error of his ways. And that can sound crazy to someone who hasn't been in a abusive relationship. But I have, so I know, unfortunately, like, it can happen. And it's a lot easier to make excuses and want to see the good in someone that you do genuinely care for and love. And it's it's documented that she did love this man. Mm-hmm. Or claim to have loved him. Very much so. Yes. Sorry, little no. tangent. <laughs> Just no. Just got to input it because in, before my situation I had never understood that you know why would someone you know they already hurt you once why would you go and put yourself in that situation it's easier to question it until you've been in a relationship like that and that's probably why I'm questioning it (laughs) (laughs) yes I'm insensitive I'm like okay that you know makes sense you know it happens and it definitely happens for sure uh yeah a whole crime spree. I also think, so they had mentioned too, I guess, going back to John Romberg, they didn't really focus on a whole lot. It seems like they didn't have a lot of past information on him. But David Klein, I know his wife had spoken in one of the episodes that I had watched and basically said that the whole reason why he was able to survive, like he knew he was able to survive was because he had that internal willpower and, like, he was going to get through this. And he ultimately ended up passing away from, like, cancer, I believe, in, like, the late 2000, or late 2000, like, 2009. But the fact that he was able to overcome that and live without hands, I think, is pretty miraculous. Absolutely. And yeah, I was going to say, the only information I really saw on John Romberg is he was, you know, a 50-year-old cab driver. Mm -hmm. It was pretty careless. You know, he was just doing his job and and drove them. And they shot and killed him. Yep. And then I, sorry, just like some notes here. So, from that I have from trial, Maurice was convicted. Uh, He received a life sentence without the possibility of parole and he also received an additional 33 years in prison with regards to kidnapping and weapons charges so I mean he'll be behind bars for the rest of his life he was also previously sentenced to 50 years in prison for Klein's abduction and theft so for David's as well as his his um charges for Jennifer and John Romberg and then Super interesting, Benny, his nephew, received only a 40-year sentence to possibility of life in prison. And it sounds like he has the chance of parole. Mm-hmm. He claimed that Maurice forced him to kill Jennifer. And he didn't physically kill or tie up David or John. So I guess it was really only being an accomplice, I guess. Yeah, I had seen on uh, one of the pages that he's, like, eligible for parole in 2034. And he's at... Which is crazy. Super crazy. And I saw that... 
I saw Jennifer's family was like extremely upset about this. He claims that he killed Jennifer when Maurice told him that she had to die and that he loved her too much to kill her himself, which is just a shitty ass excuse because you don't love this woman clearly. Um, sorry, <laughs> tangent. <laughs> but he said it was either Jennifer, he killed Jennifer or he thought Maurice would kill him and then kill Jennifer. So I guess that was probably why they took it a little later on him. I get, yeah, that would make sense. The whole, like, bringing your nephew into it, even though I feel like is, like, I guess they had a relationship, but it didn't really go, besides Maurice being, like, the role model and, like, Benny not really having, like, a family or, like, family figures and, like, a mother or father figure, um, that whole relationship, I feel like, was just bizarre. Like, oh, yeah, can you do me this favor? We're going to go on a killing spree real quick, but it'll be okay. Right. It's um definitely an example of being in a really shitty family situation, which I'm not excusing it because then you should still know right yeah. from wrong. Absolutely. And, you know, Maurice was a lot older than him as well. I think Maurice was like 15 years older than Jennifer and mm-hmm. Benny was a few years older than Jennifer is my understanding. Yeah, it was like two or three years. But still, I mean, you're old enough at this point to know right from wrong. So it's it's still like you agreed to do all of this stuff with him. You should still face the consequences. Agreed. Agreed. Um, fun fact, too, that uh, Benny Fryer is in Columbia Correctional Institution, which is where Jeffrey Dahmer died. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, they're not in the same prison, so... No, the Maurice is in Waupon, which is, like, the maximum security prison in Wisconsin. That's where Chris Watts is, supposedly. The guy from Colorado. Oh, shit. Why is he in Wisconsin? (laughs) Because he was, like, they thought he was going to die if they kept him in Colorado. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. He's, like, a a high-profile murderer, killer there. So, like, sometimes they'll move people. And, like, location-wise, Lake Dalton is pretty... It's northern. It's, like, northern Wisconsin, or is it kind of central? No, so it's, like, um... It's more, like, on the west side of the state, honestly. I guess it'd be, like, central, but, like, west. Um, It's near Wisconsin Dells, if anyone's familiar with that. It's, like, the town next to it. Okay, because I was going to say, I think it was only... They said it was a 10-hour drive from Lincoln to Lake Dullin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because I'm trying to think. I bet you, like, Lake Dalton is probably only, like, an hour from, like, the border of Wisconsin, like, from the west side. Okay, okay. Maybe an hour and a half. I was just trying to get geography in my head and see where, <laughs> it's, where it's located. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's a pretty, and that's, like, pretty rural area. I know, like, I guess I haven't been to the Dells yet. Hopefully this summer. But August. Yeah, we're <laughs> trying to go on a trip. Um, but I know, like, we had talked about, it's, like, a pretty rural area, too. So 
the fact that they're like Klein's where Cl- David Klein was found and Lake Dalton being like 30, 45 minutes a- apart. It's not really that far when you think you're like kind of in the middle of nowhere. No, and I think like I mean like Lake Delta and Wisconsin Dells area, that's like the touristy area. So like that's where everyone's gonna be at. But like Boston, Baraboo, um, all of that stuff's like a lot more rural. There's probably and, only like And Baraboo is where Ron the bar Berg was. was. Found. Oh yeah. Okay. That was the the bar that they had walked to and then called a cab and basically killed Romberg. Yeah. It's pretty um Pretty sad. Like I said, pretty wild that they only, these are the only three people that were genuinely directly injured. I don't want to say hurt from this because Jennifer's family suffered. Romberg, I'm sure he had family and loved ones and Klein's family. So it's um pretty messed up. I will say my favorite, not my favorite. Okay, it's my favorite part of it. <laughs> It's weird saying my favorite part of this story because <laughs> um, it's a pretty fucked up story. But my favorite part, just so everyone else listening knows, too, when Sydney had picked this case and had sent me the information about it, is these two men literally <laughs> turned themselves in. They're like, oh, we're going to get caught anyways. We're going to go have surf and turf and enjoy this massive, expensive meal. And then turn ourselves in. And when I watched that episode um, on ID channel from Your Worst Nightmare, they literally had the recording of the security guard at the Marriott restaurant calling the police and saying, like, oh, there are these men that need to talk to you. They said to call you. (laughs) And I'm like, these idiots. Which I also think is interesting because I feel like if you do that now, like, hey, like, you call them, I gotta talk to you guys. They'd be like, okay, can you give us an explanation? Like, what's going on? Yeah, and they, <laughs> the, the police took them in. That's what I found really interesting. When the police came there and arrested them and took them into custody and were interviewing them, they had no idea, like, what really happened. And when they interviewed Benny, he was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll just say um, we committed a couple murders that you're gonna want to know about. And mm-hmm. we're gonna be looking for us. And then Maurice just blabbed about everything. Yeah. So he, like, truly, genuinely just didn't care. No, I think at that point it was, we're going to go to jail for this. We don't really have an option. This is the end. Pretty crazy and wild. I also think we watched uh, two different episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's what it sounds like. So, again... You guys can find this on Investigation Discovery's Your Worst Nightmare, Season 5, Episode 5. It's entitled Come With Me. Or you can watch it on uh, ID Network's Wicked Attraction, and it was Road to Nowhere was the episode name, and I think it was in uh, Season 4 or 5. But yeah, I'm pretty sure we watched two different episodes, so that's We definitely did. Because I'm like, I when you told me that a couple, yesterday or a couple days ago, I was like, I did not hear this phone call. Now I need to go listen to this phone call. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I should have mentioned that. I I thought you had said it was a wicked attraction, but I found it on your worst nightmare. So um, I made my boyfriend watch it with me. <laughs> and he was like, what is going on right now? <laughs> 
funny. Yeah, so if you guys have any suggestions in other cases as well, feel free to, like, message us or comment on social media. Um, Yes. We definitely want to take, like, other people's opinions (laughs) into account. We have, like, an ongoing list already of what we're looking to research and kind of cover. Definitely some local cases for both of us, I think. I'm a big podcast listener. I follow regularly, like, five (laughs) true crime podcasts. (laughs) I have, like, my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays. Oh, my goodness. Like, people that, you know, come out with new episodes, so... I definitely am super interested to hear other cases and, like, talk about cases that I haven't heard. Um, I'll name drop. Like, I know I listen to, like, Morbid and Crime Junkie and That's Why We Drink and Sinisterhood. Like, those are, like, my top four, I'd say. Uh, A lot of times I'll hear cases that sometimes are covered on all four or one or two of them cover. And it's definitely interesting because everyone has their own little input and take, and I might learn something new in one that they might not have thought was important in another. But I really genuinely love the ones where we don't hear, like we hear cases that might not have gotten a lot of national coverage or might be as widely known. So like our case for last week, episode three, I've lived in Michigan most of my life here, and I've never heard that case. And yeah. it's not that long ago. Um, this case that Sydney picked, I had never heard before either. So give us all the suggestions. We want to cover stuff that you don't hear about. It might exactly. be a little harder. Sometimes these episodes aren't as long because we might not have as much information, but... No, I feel like some of these ones that we've really been having to, like, dig. Like, we were having a hard time finding photos, for one. <laughs> oh, yeah, Shane and Sally Stewart, when we went to go post those photos, we were like, uh, okay. And I think that's going to continue. Older, I guess, too. Yeah. So that's a little harder. Um, but, yeah, find us on Facebook or Instagram. Facebook, our name's Tacos and Tequila podcast it's t-e-k-i-l-l-y-a do you know the instagram off the top of your head (laughs) tacos and tequila okay (laughs) so no podcast on instagram no podcast (laughs) um yeah find us on social media tell us what you think um i do have a dad joke for you guys yes my favorite (laughs) part guys my favorite part. So I thought this was um, necessary because it's Sunday. Uh, how do tacos say grace? How? Let us pray. <laughs> I like that one. It just keep getting worse, I think. Oh, man. I like ending on this good note, though. I think it's good for us. I think it is, too. You know, we like cheese. Sydney's from Wisconsin. <laughs> I love cheese. Cheese capital. I've got easily like 10 pounds of cheese in my fridge from the last time Sydney was here. <laughs> you didn't eat that yet? I've been eating a lot of it. Okay, there's only so much cheese you can eat in one sitting. <laughs> you know, it's probably frowned upon, but you can eat as much cheese as you want. Well, yeah, until you get sick. <laughs> yeah, you'll be really constipated. Ha <laughs> ha.
Well, guys, thanks for sticking around for our rants this episode. <laughs> um, and probably TMI on our cheese and bowel movements. <laughs> it's fine, though. That's where you guys keep coming back. Yeah, and probably how freaking awkward we are. <laughs> it's probably also true. Uh, yeah, so like I said, give us some suggestions. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And we will... Uh, Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.